Carm Capriato here, and welcome to a very popular Town Hall Academy series with the Business Coaches Lab. And we're talking building an enduring business culture, and this is part two. And I'm positive you'll learn just one thing, and maybe even four or five. Look, this is the single most important business strategy you need to work on, your business culture, period. At least you admit it, you're fixing it, you're working on fixing it. It doesn't happen overnight. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato, the Automotive Aftermarket Podcast guy here, and so glad to welcome you to Academy Episode 142 with the business coaches on building an enduring business culture, and this is part two. Hey, big high fives to Jasper Engines for having the vision to see the value in the Town Hall Academy. Now, you know, your customer's vehicle continues to age, and the likelihood that their engine or transmission is going to wear out? is a distinct possibility. Now, when that day comes, please think of Jasper. They are the name to remember for your customer's drivetrain solutions. Jasper's remanufactured products cost considerably less than a new vehicle, so it just makes sense to choose Jasper. Hey, did anyone ever say to you, hey, you gotta see that movie, you just gotta see that movie? Well, it's no different when it comes to sharing this podcast. Now, if you love how we provide you four powerful lessons each week that spurs you to learn or inspires you to do, then tell your friend how much you value the Aftermarket's premiere and original podcast. Hey, you can find the key talking points in my guests' bios and links to their previous episodes at remarkableresults.biz slash A142. Now, if you've never visited the website, you really need to. Every podcast, every series, the tag cloud, pictures, and even the books page, to name just a few features, are there. Don't forget, the key talking points are already done for you. And also on this episode's show page, you'll find a link to the Enduring Business Culture Part 1 podcast and all the other podcasts in the Business Coaches Lab series. You just got to spend time there. With me in this part two of Building an Enduring Business Culture is Rick White from 180Biz, Cecil Bullard, the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence, and Bob Greenwood from the Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center. Now, it must have been an exceptional Friday afternoon because these coaches were on their game. They nailed finding your hidden strengths, the power of having standards. What does talent got to do with it? Tasks versus outcomes. And that culture happens. You've got one, good or bad, but you've got one. We talk assessments, behavior, the accountability mirror, learning from failures. And that culture is really not a hard concept. Hey, buckle up. Hello, everyone. Carm Capriato, 12 noon, East Coast time, Town Hall Academy, 142nd week of doing this. We are in a continuation of business culture. Ten weeks ago in episode 132, we t- we covered building an enduring business culture. And right now we're going to do it in part two. Uh, we had some limited time last time, but based on all the talking points our guests brought to me, I felt that uh, we needed to have a second part two. And actually, truthfully, culture is such a big topic that we almost like can't cover it enough. And I know, Cecil, you you have a class just on building an enduring business culture. Am I right? Yeah, because I I think that culture is the most important thing, that your culture creates your result. 
how your people think about your company, how, you know, how they relate to your company, uh, how they feel about all, all of things and whether or not they can actually make decisions on their own. I think we have a lot of broken culture in our, in, in small business. I don't think it's just in the automotive industry, but in, in small business. Like Cecil was saying, it's one of the hottest topics out of the mouths and minds of leaders these days, building a great organizational culture. The longer organizations look for a competitive advantage and a sustainable way to grow their organizations, the more they look inside into culture. Now, in this part two, uh, as, as I was mentioning, I, I want to kind of dive a little deeper. I'd like to talk about, guys, uh, I know that we've got some talking points out there, but um, how do you create a career culture the power of trust in your team, how to change a broken culture, which I think could be a really deep uh, subject here for us. How do we actually change a broken culture? The biggest move you can make to move the culture forward and take our people on a culture journey. So uh, those are the, my, if you will, I'd love to have those as takeaways uh, for this episode. But let's start, Rick, I want to start with you. On the panel that we were on uh, a few weeks ago, we kind of got into uh, technician pay and benefits. And, and I do believe you started out by saying, you know, it, it's got to be about culture. Absolutely. If you want to be able to attract the best help, you want to be profitable and and keep it for a long period of time, you have to have it so that you're attracting the best help. You can't chase people anymore. And it's all about the environment that you're going to create where people are going to be allowed to flourish, where they can feel safe, and honestly, where they're allowed to make mistakes. That's really important. You know, we want perfection, but we got to understand that perfection is actually the lowest standard we can set for ourselves because we all understand that perfection is not attainable. And all it does is allow us to kick ourselves and everybody else around us. What we need to do is shoot for our best. You're going to do that with a, with a culture of constant growth, right? A continuous improvement mentality and getting it so that you have a place where people are knocking on your door saying, man, I want to work here. And it doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to have foosball tables and, you know, all these, you know, things like that. But you've got to have a culture where these people can grow and thrive. It doesn't have to be Apple or Google. Right. You, you're going to look at Apple and Google are already taken. You need to be you. But you got to be an authentic you. And I think that's a really important part of it. Well, that was big and powerful. The authentic you. So somewhere deep inside of me, there's an authentic me. There is if we'll let him if you'll let him out. I think, I think the most important thing that Rick is bringing to the table on that comment is that it starts with the owner, the leader of the operation who sets the tone of voice, sets the way it's going to be. And uh, I'd like to throw out the word standards and a great culture has great standards. Yes. And when you have those standards in place, people feel it, people are part of it and they believe it. And it's just like keeping people accountable is a standard. And when people are kept accountable, uh, that creates a positive culture because you start attracting people that want to be part of that. And I think it's very, very important to take a good hard look at your standards of what you, the owner, stand for. And Rick is right. It's inside of you, but you've got to pull it out. Bob, it's a hidden strength. And how do we get it out? How do we discover it? I think more important is that you're, you talk to your peers around you about it as well. Um, your, your personal coach, 
that would be a mission of any personal coach is to bring out your best in you. And uh, I've been through that with a client and I just watched her go through a metamorphosis over a year, year and a half. It was just amazing. But uh, she finally believed in herself and she went through it and changed things in her operation. Uh, and the operation is just moving forward beautifully. I saw Rick and Cecil shake their head there. Bring us that experience. I want to walk one step backwards. You know, Bob said uh, standards and holding people accountable. When you don't hold people accountable in your organization, they become unsure of themselves. They don't know when you're going to explode or what you're going to explode about or, you know, when you're going to get angry or what you're going to get angry about because you, you haven't set the standards and you're not holding them accountable. When they do things or don't do things that they should do, and you don't do anything, they're, 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 they're kind of like waiting for the ax to fall. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you have a real clear set of standards and they know, I, I, it probably goes back to what Rick said, and that's the authentic you, when they know exactly what they're going to get, then they can be more comfortable in their positions. And I think we talked a little bit about Maslow last time. Maslow basically says that if your base needs are not met, and I think, um, uh, comfort in my living experience is one of my base needs, then you can't think about God and science and how to do your job better. If you're worried about, you know, when is the ax going to fall? What's he going to blow up over uh, uh, today? You're, you're in trouble. I'll throw out a question on that one. If an owner or even a great staff member actually look themselves in the mirror and ask this question, what are my hidden strengths? that even I don't even talk about, but they're there within me. And I think if you took some time and thought about that question, we all have strengths that we really don't recognize until we slow the process down and start thinking about them and how I use them, but I never talk about them. I think a lot of times when we're looking for hidden strengths, a lot of times the hidden strength is actually something that they don't think is a big deal. You almost need an outside perspective from a, you know, from different angles and have multiple people say, Hey, you're really fantastic at this. Like you think it's not a big deal, but to us, it's like magic, right? That's how you start to identify um, your, I think your hidden talents. And, and the reality is I truly believe that every one of us is completely unique and there's never going to, there's never been an, a, a you before, and there's never going to be another you again. And, and we spend all this time trying to conform and be part of the herd when, you know, years ago that made sense for survival today, it's the opposite. And I don't mean we have to stand out on our lo- own, but we have to be comfortable in our own skin. We have to be aware of who we are and what we bring to the table and also what our shortcomings are so that we can work on those as well. But I think one of the biggest things that kills us on this is we have an owner that's so busy trying just to get to the end of the day without killing somebody. They don't step back and try to create. They're managing their tasks. They're not creating outcomes. And they've got to step back and recognize, you know, I still see owners that are hiring people thinking they're going to bring exactly what they need to the table. And, and it's never, ever going to happen. I think it's an interesting um, concept, this, this idea of knowing exactly uh, what your talents are and understanding. Um, we spend a lot of time in our company discussing who we want to be. And I think one of the faults in our industry is, as, as Rick said, you know, 
we're so good at diagnosing cars and fixing cars, we don't even charge for it because for us, it's just a simple thing. And yet all of those customers out there, they can't do it on their own. I would also kind of, you know, um, Bob was talking about your coach. We have coaches for a reason. We have coaches because they make us better. We have coaches because they help us identify our strengths and our weaknesses and they help us overcome our weaknesses and they help us play to our strengths. The value is, is that they can help us be better people and, and run a better company. But they do that because they see more in us than we see in ourselves. I think we all need people around us that, that are, are uh, able to see into us and, and help us, you know, kind of identify uh, those strengths. And I think, you know, we're talking about culture and creating culture. That's what we need to be doing for our staff is, is helping them play to their strengths. And, and we can't do that exactly. if, we don't, if we don't sit down and think about our people and what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, and then how do we help them? And you know, that also goes back to the hiring proposition as well as when you're, mm-hmm. I've just seen this over and over all my life is that when owners go to hire somebody, they're almost afraid to hire anybody that is a stronger person than they are, has more talent. And to me, that's the biggest mistake in business you can make as an employer. You always want to hire better than you because you cannot do everything and you need talent and strengths in your business. I call it insecurity is when I think you guys can agree. We've seen a lot of it in our industry where really a person can put on any facade, but when you study them, they truly are insecure and that is hurting their business dramatically. And it also leads down to their employees. Their employees can see that. And, you know, it's scary when an employer can't evaluate that because then they are working in the business, not on the business. They're consumed, as, as Cecil said, you're consumed by the business day in and day out. And Rick and Cecil nailed it and said, You've got to be in a position where you can see yourself and then see the best in every staff member you have on board and how can you help them be better, raising those standards. And you create culture based on what you do. And if you don't think about what you do and think about what you need to do and how you need to do it for your staff, then they don't, they don't do because you're not doing right. Um, Example, it's more than example. I think, I think example is one thing, you know, I want to be an honest person so that the people in my, because I want to be an honest person, but also so that the people in my company will be honest. But if, if I don't consciously think about certain decisions that I make and, and sometimes I actually change that decision, then I don't set the right example for my people in a lot of different ways. I mean, culture happens no matter what you have a culture in your company. Uh, Even this, this meeting has a culture. We have to be very conscious of our culture. We have to think about our culture. And when we have good culture, we want the stronger person because the stronger person will flourish within that. Correct. Yes. Culture actually makes it when you set standards and you have things in place for your staff, you're not confining them. You're actually releasing them because now instead of sitting there and trying to figure out what to do, they can actually expend all their effort on how well they do it, which is a really big mind shift. And the thing is, Cecil, you're dead on, man. Culture is not what you talk about. It's what you live. You know, I have four daughters, okay? And when my girls were growing up, I told them something. I said, listen, boys are going to confuse you. 
And there's going to be times when what they say is not the same thing as what they do. And when you're confused, always look at what they do. That's who they are. What they say is either what you, they think you want to hear or that's who they're trying to be. But what they do, that's who they are. You pay attention to that. Behavior never yeah. lies. Amen. With, with, Richard within our businesses, yeah. obviously, our families are super important and we want to act in a very specific way there. In our businesses, it's no different. If, if I'm acting contrary to what I want to create within my business, it doesn't matter that I've got bad habits. It doesn't matter that I'm having a bad day. What matters is what I do because that's what my people are watching and that's what my people are going to pick up and that's what's going to create the culture within my business. Right. I'm with Luke Hederscheidt, quality control here at Jasper. So QC for me, Luke, is Everest. It's at the top of the heap. Yeah, uh, we take a lot of pride in our in our quality and uh, we build a lot of quality into our processes and our machining efforts, uh, machining processes that we use. Um, my role here actually is to go out and look and see what different technologies are out there for different machining operations, um, what kind of additive technology that we can use, any kind of automation and stuff like that. But go out, research, figure out what's going to work best and what's going to produce the best quality products for our customers. What do you like the most about your job? It's actually getting involved in a little bit of everything. I really like that I get to see what what is coming down the pipeline, what our OE's manufacturer is doing, and how can we take some of those processes and bring them in-house to make sure that we have the best quality. Do you love what you do? Absolutely. How long have you been at Jasper? Ten years. Straight out of college. The only job you've ever had? The only real job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. I worked in a couple of factories while I was in college. Thank you, Luke. A member of the 100% associate-owned company at jasperengines.com. Okay, guys, so I'm listening and I'm absorbing this and I am 100% on board. So I think I know what my strengths are, but how can I find out? How do I find out the tendencies of my people? And, you know, I'm kind of leaning you guys in a direction. Uh, you've probably heard me speak in the past about taking the Clifton's Strengths Finder 2.0 test and me totally disagreeing with it until I became a podcaster and then I opened it up and realized oh my God, this was my destiny because the, my top five strengths lend itself to exactly what I'm doing right now. I mean, it's like I wish I would have discovered that 30 years ago, but podcasts weren't on then. Or or the, the, the kind of style of education and, and interviewing skills that I have. I, so I recommend uh, Clifton Strengths Finders 2.0. You buy the book, you take the test, it'll open up your world. You should do it for your people. And, and what about disc tests? Will that help? I love disc tests. Absolutely love them. Um, I recently just did one on myself and it, like I read the two pages that come out after doing the test, which is really, it's not a test. It's an assessment. Like I said, the only test I've ever failed is a personality test, right? So it's one of those things where it really helps you get inside their head and how to best connect and talk with them. But gifts aren't going to be learned there. I think that's going to give you behavioral tendencies. I think the gifts are found in observation. If you take the strength finder profile and it, 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 more, it, it doesn't talk about your personality necessarily. It talks about what motivates you, what makes right. you happy. And, and I think if you understand what makes you happy that can and help. what makes your people happy, then you can make adjustments within your uh, culture of your company to, um, to help them to achieve those things. And happier employees produce more and happier employees produce a happier company and happier customers. 
and I think it was you, Rick, who said, um, you know, you got to hire, uh, you hire, oh, Bob, it was you hire someone bigger, better, smarter than you in a certain area. And if you're, and if you're weak in this particular area and you find someone who's better at it than you, then you yield. Marcus Buckingham uh, wrote a book called Now Consider Your Strengths. He also has a, a video, uh, I think it's called Trombone Player Wanted. Um, and, and what his premise is, is that in school, when you're really good in math, but you're terrible in English, where do they spend all their time? You see, and, and they spend all their time in English because they want you to learn English. In business, you should do what you do best. And and you should have your people what, do what they do best. And you can't do that if you don't know what that is. Right. And so, you know, by assessing your people and actually looking at them routinely, and I mean, as a manager, monthly sitting down and thinking, oh, I got Rick working for me. You know, what are, what are Rick's strengths? And is Rick happy within my company? And if I had Rick do this this way or do this other project, would Rick be a happier employee and would Rick develop more and enjoy his job more? We, if, if we don't consciously set aside time to, to manage and to do those things, then we don't get what we want ultimately within our company. Or maybe our company gets to a certain point, but it never gets to the level that it really could achieve. And Cecil, if you if you look at things and what both of you are saying is that the owner, the manager must have conversations with their people. Yes. And I'm shocked how many people who own businesses don't have conversations with their people. Or they don't have they don't have structured conversations. All yeah. they do is it's it's just blessed. It bark you know? out bark out half sentences and expect them to it's, understand it. But that's what Bob that comes back to your key point, right? Which, you know, I've known you for a while and your key point, if, I, if I'm wrong, tell me, is you've got to be the CEO of your business. You can't do that from the creeper and you can't do it from the front office. You've got to be the CEO of your business and you've got to, this creating the culture is just part of this. Recruiting is right. another part. Marketing, growth strategies, leadership, focus on where you're going. I submit to you, Rick, what you just pointed out there, those three, four things. Those are their cultures within a culture. Amen. Each There's some cultures. Exactly. Amen. One of the mistakes that we make in our companies, and, 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 and that's assuming that someone knows what I mean or what I say. And, and that creates, um, again, a culture of, I'm not sure um, that this is what I should do, so I'm not going to do anything. We need to be very clear in our communication with our staff and again, you know, in, in these small businesses, the businesses that we primarily work with, it, there's so much to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and there's fires and there's, you know, problems. And um, if we're not setting aside time to be a manager and to be a communicator and actually have those conversations, then we don't get what we want. And, and so one of the cultures we try to create in my company is a culture of communication. We have our weekly meetings. We have our one-on-one -on -one meetings with, with staff on a regular basis. And sometimes I just sit in my office and think about where my company's at and what my employees are doing and whether or not they're, they're, they're you know, moving in the right direction. Cecil, um, you know, when you have those one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, with a staff member, one of the neatest things you can do is say your speech, say your points, and then ask them directly. Could you explain to me what you just heard from me? Yeah. In your words. Because of my experiences in my personal life, uh, if you talk to my wife, she says I'm not a good communicator. 
she often says, I say something that I don't believe I said. So with my employees, um, let me see if I understand you correctly. Is, is this what you said? Or can you tell me what I just told you? Right. right? You, you have to have those conversations because every time I've gotten myself in real trouble, it's because I thought I knew what I said and I thought they knew what I said and, and, and they really didn't. Right. Uh, and, and, and ultimately what they think they heard is so much more important than what you think you said. Oh because, yeah. Because, because the goal of communication is not to get it off your chest. It's to get that thought, that image out of your head and into theirs. Right. And, and, and now you talk leadership and, and management and creating culture and you can't do that if there isn't, very clear communication where we really understand the, the, the basic principles. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we take time every year to bring people in and have that conversation about who we really are and who we really want to be. And is that reflective within what we do in our company? Um, if we're not, you know, we'll never, we, we, we struggle anyway to create the right culture and always be on, on the right track. In fact, I'd tell you probably, at least half the time we're not on the right track. But if we're not having those conversations and really truly getting to the meat of it, then we'll never be on the right track. And when you have those conversations, Cecil, you're absolutely right. When you have those conversations and you've put that picture, Rick, in their head, is that now that culture can only be built if you hold people accountable to what you had talked about. And and that walks backward because if, if they don't trust you, because you're not holding them accountable for the things that you say, yeah. or you're or you're jumping into areas that you didn't create rules, then they they won't be open with you in that conversation. I really did want to move into this trust thing right now, Cecil. I'm really glad you brought it up. And Bob, you know, here here you're saying, listen, it's all in your behavior, and if they can't trust your behavior, then you have no culture. But you know what the problem with that is, Carm? We have what I call the accountability mirror. In other words. Carm, if you ask me to do something, you're going to hold me accountable to my actions. But see what happens when we're psychologically, what happens when we're talking to ourselves, we don't hold ourselves accountable to our actions. We hold ourselves accountable to our intentions. So I can be thinking, well, I meant to do put this whiteboard up in the shop today, but I didn't get it, but it's okay because I thought about it and I'll do it tomorrow. And it creates this disparity in accountability in the business. And that's a big part of it. You know, if you want trust in your business, you have to be trustworthy first. That's where trust comes is when you're open and transparent, you admit your mistakes, you let them know that you're on a journey too, that you're working on these things, but then you raise the standard for yourself, right? The standard isn't what you talk about. The standard is what you tolerate. The standard is what you live. That's the standard. Well. When we're, when we're teaching culture, I think there are four really important principles. And, and one of them is um, what you live, what you do. Because you, and, and where you, and, and, and a second one is where you put your attention. If I'm focused on finding blame and finding fault and, and, and recognizing everything that goes wrong in the business, then that's what my people are focused on. Staying um, out of trouble. Yeah, I want to focus on um, a growth and invention and uh, ingenuity and and productivity and if I can focus on those things and and you know hold people accountable for them obviously there has to be some kind of a consequence when people aren't doing the right thing but it doesn't have to be terrible and I think that's one of the problems we have 
with creating culture in our businesses is we think that discipline is a bad word and discipline is, well, I'm going to fire the guy or I'm not, or I have to be happy with him. Um, I'm not always happy with myself and I can't fire myself, let alone, I'm not always happy with my staff. Um, sometimes we have to have a hard conversation and there has to be, uh, um, you know, I have to be upset and they have to go, okay, he's legitimately upset because I didn't do what I said I would do. Now I have to do what I said I would do. Right. It doesn't have to be termination. I think we want to have a little bit of clarification when I'm teaching somebody how to do something, right. Or they're learning something. I've got to give them room to make mistakes because that's how we learn. That's not where the discipline comes in. When somebody makes a mistake the first time, it's a mistake. The second time they do it, it's a choice, right? And that's where the discipline and the, and, and the conversations start so that we can nudge them back. But we've got to create an environment where it's safe for people to fall down because that's the only way we learn as human beings. We don't grow on you know our failures, we got to learn from our failures and grow grow from success. I, I teach that mistakes have to be okay, and in right. fact, we we really don't care about mistakes. What we care about are pattern failures, and if we're not doing routine quality control on you know um, our work orders, on how our cars are inspected, on how cars are being <laughs> repaired, routine QC, we're going to look at the mistake and and jump in the wrong place. And, and, and the mistake is a mistake. Learn from it, get better. When you do it two times, three times, four times, that's a pattern and patterns have to be recognized and patterns have to be dealt with. Amen. And, you, and use the word Cecil standard. It's still a standard of how you do things. Yes, and right. that's why accountability has to be in place. And I'll give you a, this is a ridiculous example, but it does make a point. A year ago, I uh, was approached in class uh, and it was after class and it was by the sponsor of the class. And he said to me, he says, geez, Bob, you know, don't you think it's time to tone it down? I said, tone what down? He says, the way you dress, you're always in a tie. You're always in a sports jacket, a suit. Don't you think you should tone it down? You look at the rest of the industry. I said, I had to say it very bluntly. I said, that is a standard with me. And that is out of respect of the people I am in front of. And that is a standard. And he said, oh, okay, I get it. He says, but you know what? Once in a while, I'll take off my tie. And, uh, you know, but I'll still have a dress shirt on. But he says, yeah, I get where you're coming from. Sharpest dressed guy in the industry. <laughs> hey, you know something? But here's the cool thing about it, right? Because, and this is the cool thing about individuality. I don't have to try to be like Bob. And Bob doesn't have to try to be like me. I respect the heck out of Bob and Cecil. But I also recognize, appreciate the differences we bring to the table, the uniqueness we bring to the table. And I think we all do. And Rick, you and I have had some good one-on-one conversations when we find ourselves at the same event. We get aside for a half hour, 45 minutes. We have some great conversations and you're absolutely right. Every one of us here brings something to the table. You each have incredible strengths and styles. And, you know, which is why some of the coaching relationships work and sometimes they don't because you you really got to, you know, marry that style up with what the person needs and wants and, and how both of you go to market. 
and, and hold your people accountable. I'm some of them, I'm sure you use a vice and some other ones you use a soft hand. <laughs> it's just, it's just how it works. And I, and I think it, how cool it is. I just had a thought of how the relationship with your coach works is how you could literally work with your team and build your culture and, and become a better leader. And, and I continue to think, well, we have had a great discussion here for about 35 minutes and I'm sitting at the other end of this listening and saying, God, I, I, I don't have a beautiful place. It's kind of run down. We're slowly fixing it. Uh, I, I don't think I have the environment to build a good culture. How do I start? At least you admit it. You're fixing it. You're working on fixing it. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. And, I, and I'm confident Rick and Cecil do the same thing. When you're working with a client, you're also working with their team. And you have conversations as an entire group. And getting that message out and taking the time to saying, okay, our facility is going to be worked on. We've got to all chip in here and see what we can do. And then I'll look after some other stuff too as the owner. So Rick, I should stop apologizing for my facility, right? Absolutely. You know, here's the funny thing about it. The funny thing is I have a shop owner I'm coaching now. He's got a three base shop. He hates it. So I go on to one of my other clients. He's got a five base shop. And I said, what do you think about this place? He goes, oh my gosh, I'd love that place. I said, well, he hates it and he hates it because it's hind it behind another building. So I said, okay, now let me show you another shop. It's 10 bays, brand new building, $1.8 million. What do you think about it? And he goes, Oh, this is, this is like heaven. This is like heaven. I said, no, some, she's been in that building for three years now and she's finding stuff. She's not happy about with it. The reality is, is we're always going to find something wrong. What I have a problem with is, and I said this to this guy with the three bays. I said, the day you went in here the first time, you saw nothing but potential. I said, today, all you see is nothing but problems. Yeah. And I said, you got to get back to the potential. The point is not to have everything perfect because everything's never perfect. The point Correct. is to recognize where you're at and to move forward. And I think creating culture in my business, by moving forward and having my employees see us move forward, they're, they come along for the ride and they get more invested within my company. And moving forward like that, Cecil, is a culture in its own. Yes. Because you're continuously I, I, doing it. I, when, when we come to trust becomes so important. We were, we were talking a little bit about trust. And when we go into a lot of companies, one of the things I do is I interview everybody and, and they, start, they start blaming the other people in the company. Well, the owner doesn't do this and the owner's this and well, the service advisor's this. And they never look at themselves within the, within this, I have to look at myself and I have to find things that I'm not doing or things that need to be done. I have to recognize those verbally with my employees. And then I have to make the change because that is what builds trust with people. And it can be simple. It can be, you know what, we're going to paint the bathroom. You know, if you say you're going to paint the bathroom and the bathroom needs to be painted, go paint the bathroom. That costs $25 and a couple hours of time. Right. You know, you, you, you're not talking about spending millions of dollars. You're talking about <clears throat> small incremental improvement that you're constantly focused on. It's a great culture for your company. The biggest word in the shop is we're painting the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I th well, I heard Cecil was going to do it. So yeah. I, he wasn't assigning it. I have. I have. Um, <laughs> you, you have to pick things out. It can be anything, but you have to pick things out. You know, buy that piece of equipment, move oil filters from here to there because it's more efficient, but you have to pick things out with your employees and you have to do them and you have to do them within the right time frame, the time frame you promised, because that's what builds trust. 
Absolutely. You know, as a coach and a consultant, you're trying to build trust with your clients so that when you say do this, they do it. And the way that you do that is you give them things to do that will help them be more successful. They do them. They recognize that success. They go, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. What else does he know? What else can I get from him? What else can I do? It's the same with my employees. Great part two on culture. I loved where this went. Actually, this was a this was one of those free flowing uh, ram bam six shooter things, and and I loved it. You guys did just well together. I'm gonna give you each a, your last word, Rick. I'll start with you. Listen, culture is not that hard to figure out. It's one of those words that get a little fuzzy, but really, it's just the environment that you're gonna create intentionally that's going to help your people thrive, make it safe. You create rules of engagement, you create standards, you have a level of accountability and you help your people grow to those standards. You help them be a part of it. And it doesn't have to be these huge jumps. You can get small wins and they make all the difference in the world. Just do something. I don't think it's one big thing. I think it's a bunch of small things that we we work towards. And I think um, uh, probably two points. One, I have to be conscious of what I want and what I want to create within my company. And then, and, and number two, then I have to act in, in concert with that. I have to be in line with that in my behavior. If I can't behave right, I'll never get what I, what I want or need, or my company will never be, will, will never reach that plateau that it can reach that, that high, high mark. I'll never get to the top of the mountain and I want to go to the top of the mountain. You know, I, I agree so much with uh, Cecil and Rick on all the points that they brought to the table. Uh, in a culture environment, I'll, I'll end it this way. We truly need more and open and honest clarity and consistency from the top with effective and ongoing communication to the team and talk about our successes and talk about our failures our strengths, and our weaknesses. Communication can develop such a strong culture in any business, and it's worth discussing. Well, that's the soundbite. Thank you, Business Coaches Lab, Building an Enduring Business Culture Part 2. Thanks so much to Bob Greenwood, Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center, Rick White from 180Biz, and Cecil Bullard from the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. You too. Take Take care, everybody. Travel safe. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.